Saints. So this morning we are going to read from Isaiah 42. Is that buzzing me? Because if it is, we're going to try something. It doesn't bother. It's not me. Okay. I can deal with the buzzing as long as it's not my fault. All right, so this morning we are going to read from Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 9. It says this. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will be put, will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens, who stretched them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. To open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place and new things I declare before they spring into being. I announce them to you. So before we jump into this, just a little bit of um, like a minute to step back, to remember where we are, to talk about what today is and to see how this all is working together. To have um, Pastor Alex put this up. We talk about this often, but I'm going to keep talking about it because it's good for us to remember and to, to reflect on where we are in the church year. So we talk about from time to time that uh, our church, when we gather, that we gather not just as Living Vine Church in Napa, but that we are a part of the Big C Church, which is this church that knows no borders, no nations, no language. It's been around for 2,000 years. And as part of this people, we have a collective calendar that we follow. Uh, And that is represented, I really love this picture. I didn't create it. I wish I could source it. I don't know who did. Um, But I I love the simplicity of it. So when we, the church, move through our year, what we're really doing is participating in two halves of the church year. The first half, the half that we are in right now, 
takes time to walk through the life of Jesus. So you'll notice on the top, top half, left side, Advent. We went through Advent over, over the month of December, and then we moved into the Christmas season. Uh, and last week, we began the Epiphany season, the season of Christ's light revealed to the world. And we're going to move through Epiphany until the end of February, where we will begin uh, the season of Lent, which is this time when Jesus goes into the desert, the wilderness, and he is tempted, and it's a season of preparation and all of that. Uh, so as we go through Epiphany, um, we are going to be moving through the book of Isaiah a little bit. We're jumping around in it. Um, but like especially uh, this week and you know, from time to time, we're going to try to tie it back into the life of Jesus. Because as most scholars will tell you, that the point of Scripture points to Jesus. So when you read the New Testament, it's really easy to think about Jesus because it's either the stories of Jesus or it's writers talking about what Jesus' life meant for us. And so Jesus is just all over the New Testament. But the Old Testament, stories of David and um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the prophets, Isaiah, the one we just read being one of them, it's easy to forget And it's always important to remember that they are all pointing towards Christ. And so we are doing our best to remember that scripture, Old Testament and New Testament as a whole, is a part of our map, our understanding, our ability to learn who Christ is and what that means for our life. So today we're in Epiphany, but today's day actually has a specific celebration. It's the Sunday when we celebrate the baptism of Jesus. Pastor Elizabeth read it during our middle prayer time. It's the day when Jesus uh, found his ministry began. John the Baptist met him on the riverbanks, and Jesus went in, and this whole bit. And we'll talk about it in a minute, but that is what we are celebrating today. We're going to take that aside, like I said, and we're going to go back to the book of Isaiah. Now, In Isaiah, a reminder uh, of context. So Isaiah is a prophet. He lived uh, several centuries before Jesus. He structured his books. uh, The early part of the book, about 1 through 39, is a bunch of warnings. Uh, You don't change the way you're living, the way you're worshiping. If you don't reorient your life, reorient your life. Uh, to the ways that I called you to when you were formed as a nation, this is going to go badly for you. And as we see, it went badly for Israel. There's a scholar, he's actually a Nazarene scholar, his name is Dr. Mike Jackson. He says this, Isaiah spends chapters 1 through 39 warning people of Judah about God's coming judgments. The people were chasing other gods and forsaking the justice and the righteousness that the Torah required. We must love God with all of our hearts, with all of our being, and all of our excess. We must love our neighbor as ourselves. And Israel has failed on both accounts. I love how he says that. So off to exile she goes. That's where we end in chapter 39. 
We talked about this, and you can see it over and over again in the story of the nation of Israel, this cycle between God calling them, them kind of having this honeymoon period, this season where they really obey and they really do what they're supposed to do, and then they find themselves slipping and getting off track, and then they are conquered, and they're in exile under the leadership of some other country, some other king, and then God brings them back. It's this loop. This cycle of falling and redemption. And in this, we find ourselves here as well. Talking about uh, chapter 40, which is two chapters before where we are, Dr. Jackson goes on, this, goes on to say this. He says, years later, after exile, Isaiah reemerges. The prophet announces the end of this long season of punishment and the dawn of a new day for Israel. The good news to be heralded from the mountaintops is the arrival of God in strength. With an arm, think of God's outstretched arm in the Exodus narrative, which will rule Israel like a shepherd who gathers his lambs in his arms and gently leads them home. This is homecoming. A return to the land God promised to the father Abraham. Israel has been in captivity. And and for any of us who have experienced any sort of loss, we can resonate with this a little bit. We understand the feeling of having something present in our life. And then having that thing taken from us and the feeling of deep grief, deep um, sadness when that thing is no longer present. As we're processing the Old Testament, this Old Testament text, it's really important to remember that when Israel is conquered and carried away, that would be bad enough. If we were to be conquered and carried away, there would be grief and sadness and hurt. That's the human experience to being conquered and carried off. But there's even a deeper sense of loss for an ancient Near Eastern people who placed all of their history into a place. They don't just see land as practical, which is kind of how we see it. We own our quarter acre and our house, and that keeps us warm. And, you know, maybe we'll pass it down to our kids, but more than likely when we pass away, that house will be sold and that'll be that. It's intensely practical to us. For this people, to lose their land is to lose their identity. Generations of their family have toiled and sweat and given their lives to the cultivation of this little plot of land. Their temple the place that God physically lives on earth is in this land. This is a deeply meaningful thing for them. All of their heroes, David, Saul, Moses, Aaron, Ruth, Solomon, their story was built and formed in this land. This is everything to them. It was their center. It was a compass by which they knew 
how to live and what that looked like to be a person. And Isaiah was telling them, you guys, you're losing your way. You're missing the mark. You're going to find yourself conquered and exiled, and that is going to be deeper pain than you understand right now. And in 1 through 39, we find that to be true. And as Isaiah 40, 41, and now in 42, where we are, what we see is this prophet Isaiah coming back and speaking to this broken people. Another scholar, Richard Ward, says this, Enter the poet, or the prophet, who penned this text, who was standing with the people in the space where the center used to be. Just take a minute and resonate with that. This country that they have memories, not just like memories, but familial DNA, generational memories. It no longer looks like what they remember it, hearing stories about it to be. Their center is gone. To the people in the space where the center used to be, here is the challenge the prophet faced to restore a sense of a center to a people demoralized by war, captivity, devastation, and exile, cut off from their sacred stories and traditions of faith. Their call to live as a family of faith within the family of nations was a distant echo. The covenant that they made with a wild, whispering God of Abraham and Sarah was now, it seemed, a broken promise. Are we getting a sense for the moment that Israel is in? Grief, sadness, loss. Everything has been thrown to the wind There's starting to be echoes and questions and wonders. Is God a liar? That's the charitable question in this moment. Is God a liar? Or maybe in our more honest and painful moments, we think, did God lead me here to hurt me? That's a valid question, too. Isaiah has the task, the call to engage with this wounded, outcasted people and to begin to speak about God again. You had dreams. You had expectations. They're gone. You lost everything. And here we are. What does the prophet do? In this moment, he writes what we call and scholars call four servant songs. 42 is the first of four. So you've got, and for those of you who are interested, there's Isaiah 42. There's Isaiah 49, 1 through 6. 
There's Isaiah 50, 4 through 7, and 52 through 53. And our text is the first of these four songs. Now, probably, I was, this was my surprise for the week. Um, when I read this text, my guess is that you read this in a similar way that I read this, which was, oh, Isaiah is prophesying about Jesus. It sounds just like him. But as I read, I read from four or five different commentaries, different traditions, and to the one, every single one said it's actually not clear that Isaiah was talking about Jesus. Some scholars wonder if Isaiah is talking about a king. Some, uh, one scholar theorizes that maybe it was the Persian king. Another one says that Matthew obviously sees Jesus in this text and is reading Jesus back onto the Isaiah text. But there's all of these discussions about who is Isaiah really talking about here? Who is this servant? But as these scholars start thinking about Isaiah and who he had in mind when he talked about this servant, the one thing that was in question was the who. But the one thing that's not in question was the what. In this servant that Isaiah is talking about, we see a very clear image of the kind of leadership we should expect from somebody who is from God. Israel, remember again, they had just been under the reign and the rule of a foreign king. Someone who had torn down everything. Who almost certainly dealt with them brutally. Who probably carried away their women. And slaughtered their children. Someone who forced them to live a certain way that was opposite and contrary to everything they knew as a people. And now they're returning and Isaiah is reminding them who God is. And who is God? What is this God like? This God is patient. This God is merciful. This God is nonviolent. The most beautiful part of this text to me is, is a two-line section. I didn't write it down. I'm going to read it again. Oh, my goodness. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In a world where kings will deal harshly and swiftly with the weakest of us. Those are the ones, that's the entryway. We talked about this a few weeks ago with Herod. The weak are the entryway for the strong to gain a foothold. This is the way kings and nations deal with the weak. Isaiah is reminding us that God, that those who live in this kingdom of God, and we see this in Jesus, not only is that not the way they're going to operate, 
But they are so gentle that they will not break a broken reed. They will not snuff out a smoldering wick. At your most vulnerable, you can trust God. In a violent world, Israel is reminded that God's chosen does not live his or her life by force. This sounds so familiar because it sounds like Jesus. As I mentioned earlier, today is Baptism of Jesus Sunday. Uh, And so we read a text out of Matthew, the story of Jesus being baptized, and I thought we would make a connection between the two. So in this story from Matthew, we read about Jesus. He's baptized. They have a little tiff between him and John about who should actually be the one getting baptized by who. But then eventually Jesus is baptized, and there's this beautiful moment where the, the clouds part, and there's a voice from heaven, and this voice says two things. First, a proclamation of sonship. You are my son. And that actually comes from um, Psalm 2. It's a referral, a, a callback to Psalm 2. And it's this psalm that's read every time a king was coronated in Israel. We have our processes every four years or eight years if we get a double term president. But we have this very well known ritual of bringing a new president into leadership in our country. This psalm would have been read in a very familiar way for the the, uh, coronation of a king of Israel. So there's all of this underlying power in this statement, right? You are my son is a declaration of God claiming Christ's kingship. You are my son. Second, we see God's deep pleasure with Jesus. And that is actually taken directly, or uh, the, the text being with you, I am well pleased, comes directly from the passage this morning. Isaiah 42. This word spoken over Jesus at the beginning of his ministry is a reminder of God's call on Jesus' life. God is proclaiming and calling Jesus to take up the work of the servant of Isaiah. Remember what this looks like to serve me. Jesus in his baptism is called by God to live his life for others. This is his divine calling. Now I think as I've studied and read this, one of the most interesting parts about Isaiah 42 not being just only seen as a prophecy of Jesus, but that there's some of this wiggle room for it, that yeah, Jesus embodies this, and Matthew reads Jesus back onto the, the, um, the servant of Isaiah, but that Isaiah didn't so clearly see only the Messiah in this text is a powerful thing for us because what that tells us is this. It's not just Jesus who's going to live these values out. That this servant of the kingdom of God 
is not just Jesus, but it's you and it's me. One of the ways that we celebrate today the birth of Jesus is there's a call to remember our own baptism. To remember how uh, we were called to be part of God's family. To remember the things that we died to. To remember how God continues to shape us and to form us and to mold us. To remember how far we've come. I think many of us can think about where we've been and how far from the servant that looked like. And we can see from those early moments to today how much we've grown. And we can still see all the ways that we still don't look like the servant and God's continual call into becoming more and more like this merciful, generous, loving, faithful servant. This is a call for us. It was a call for Israel. It was lived out perfectly in the life of Jesus. And as people who are following Jesus, we're called to resemble Jesus, to be formed into someone that looks like Jesus. Which means we are called to be the servants too. Are we merciful? Are we loving? Can we be trusted with a bruised reed or an almost uh, smoldering wick? Are we gentle? Are we kind? Maybe we can't even think about those things because we're still in the middle of exile. We're not even sure that God is good right now. Forget the servant. I'm in the middle of it. Can we trust in God's goodness in the midst of Babylonian captivity? These are the questions that the prophet Isaiah leads us to.